Hey, it's Bree popping in with a trigger warning for this week's episode. I am sitting down with Nina, who is a therapist, uh, to talk about eating disorders and fat phobia and a bunch of other body image, body acceptance topics. Uh, I know that can be very hard for people, especially during the summer months. So I just wanted to give a little warning and remind you to take care of yourself. And if this week's episode's too much, I fully support you in skipping it. And I thank you for listening. Let's get to the episode. Trying to make it right, these people won't let me go. I'm just trying to live my life. I just need space to grow. I'm just trying to make it right, these people won't let me go. Let me grow, let me go. Let me grow, let me go. They should know, they should know. They should know, they should know. I'm just trying to live my life. I just need space to grow. I'm just trying to make it. Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sat down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Nina Gilbert. Nina, who uses she, her pronouns, is a licensed clinical social worker in Austin, Texas. Nina graduated from Fordham University in New York City and has been a therapist for the past 10 years. She spent several years working in intensive treatment programs for people with eating disorders before opening her own practice in 2010. Currently, Nina works primarily with couples and individuals healing from trauma, disordered eating, and addictions. Hello. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. Um, So Nina and I have never met in person, but we have a mutual connection. Mm-hmm. with Corey, who Corey was one of my advisors during college. And when Corey saw that Nina moved to Austin, like you two need to know each other. And I was like, Corey, <laughs> yes. Corey's such a connector. That's, that's literally, it's like, is. that is her full-time job. Like uh-huh. <laughs> to connect people at all times. So yeah, the, uh, eating disorders, which is what we're going to talk about today is definitely a topic that I've been wanting to talk about. And so when she saw, like I'd posted like topics on talk about, she's like, Nina, 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 Nina. I was like, great. Aww. Done and done. So <laughs> here we are. Well, yes, let's talk about it. All mm. things eating disorders, so many things to talk so about. So many things. Um, I love, like, I make every guest fill out like a form, and it was like eating disorder recovery, diet culture, fat phobia, intuitive eating. I was like, so much of this is just so mm. connected. And mm-hmm. I was just talking to a friend I had coffee with this morning about this episode because I've been jazzed to talk about it <laughs> with you. Um, and we were talking and he was like, what made you pick this topic? I was like, well, I developed an eating disorder when I was 12 and now I'm 32. So for 20 years, it's been a thing I've been navigating and it's definitely a topic of conversation with my new therapist and me talking to friends and trying to find like group therapy to, to work through it with. <clears throat> but then also my friends and I have been talking about the Kardashians new season because it's obviously it's the Kardashians. Uh-huh. How is it? <sighs> 
I would say I do follow the Kardashians because how can you not it's, follow the Kardashians? So Chloe's, Chloe's my favorite. I know she's problematic, everybody, before you yell at me. I know she's problematic, but I love her. Um, so we've been talking about it because, you know, after Chloe had her major quote unquote weight loss and, you know, uh-huh. she's become so obsessed with working out. My friend who actually is also a therapist, we were like unpacking Chloe through a, therap- a therapist lens the other day <laughs> during a workout we were having. And she's like, it's so interesting to see how Chloe has gotten so fat phobic since losing all her weight. And we were talking about how often that does happen with people who either deal with eating disorders or people who lose a a bunch of weight. And we're talking through the lens of like, because they feel, especially like Chloe as a celebrity feeling like, well, if she can do it, everyone can do it. It's like that Mm. sort of like, definitely like, and I felt that with my friend Mel and we were talking about it because I was like, you know, it's definitely a thing like I think about like I get super obsessive about my weight mm-hmm. and like but I don't like perpetuate it onto other people it's just like me being fat phobic to myself well I think Khloe Kardashian already was fat phobic yeah. as we basically grow up being taught that being bigger being larger being fat is the, the worst thing the a woman worst. could do the worst and so mm-hmm. I think what happens when people in larger bodies like Khloe Kardashian drop a lot of weight or Adele, I don't know exactly how she's talking about it, Mm -hmm. but you start to, you just start to vocalize your fat phobia more Mm -hmm. because you're like from now a position of thin privilege where you can say like basically out loud, this is a bad thing that we should all, you can do too. You can feel better because your body is now in a smaller size, which is this, like, if your body is smaller, then your life will be better, which is a a thinking trap, this if then thinking, you know, if I look a certain way, then I will have more friends, have a boyfriend, you know, get the job, do whatever. And the sad thing is there is some reality to you are treated differently in this society Mm -hmm. based on your body size. And that is wrong. Right. (laughs) That's totally wrong. Yeah. Like I think about one of my college advisors, I can't remember his name right now, but he had been talking about like, he had like, he used to be like 300 pounds and like went down to like 150. And he was often asked like, well, are you happy? Are you happy? He's like, I was never not a happy person. And it's Mm -hmm. always that sort of notion too, like you'll lose this weight and you'll be happy and then blah, blah, blah. He's like, I was never not happy. I was just in a bigger body. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I got He's like, I lost weight to be healthier. And, and I think it's also the conversation too of like thinness doesn't equate to health, just like oh, definitely doesn't not. equate to unhealthy, right? Like, mm-hmm. and you know, I've been thinking and, and I always like to tell the story of like, I grew up, I was raised by a, a group, a village of black women, if you will. Um, not just like my mom and my aunts, but also like my godmother and then like family friends. Like I grew up around a lot of black women who all looked very different, like body-wise, short hair, long hair, single, married, kids, no kids. And I had never heard one woman in my family talk badly about her body ever, even now. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm 32 and I still have never heard anyone in my family talk badly about their body. But still me at 12 years old, growing up in a very diverse place and still also seeing a lot of different people and body types, but societally still developed an eating disorder at 12 And so for me, going back and looking at that of just like, you know, I've always been about this height. I don't think I've really like grown past five, four since I was 12. Um, But then thinking about like, I've always kind of been in that like quote midsize, like I've always been like a 10, 12, 14. And so like, I'm 
quote normal like the quote normal mm-hmm. American woman is a 12 14 yeah but even still like growing up in the early 2000s when it was like still that sort of 90s like heroin chic of like being super thin or like you know the the lower rise jeans that we can all still visualize in our head that are making a comeback for some god awful reason i know kids leave them in the 2000s I, do you <laughs> do remember, remember when them? people used to wear it with like their thongs hanging yes. out the back yes. like that was the cool style to see the thong I, all i think out. is like all i think about is christina aguilera's dirty face like when dirty <sighs> first came out like that uh-huh. she that is early uh-huh. 2000s to me i'm like thinking about that whole like every video for that album I'm like that is the early 2000s look but yeah uh-huh. like, so I think about that too like you know again being in a very like, quote normal body and you know being you know my doc my mom kind of catching my eating disorder and just going to the doctor my doctor being like listen you're not overweight you're doing fine but like in my brain never being fine and even still now like mm. I was talking to one of my best friends yesterday about potentially leaving Austin um, and he asked like, what's one of the main reasons I go, I have such body dysmorphia living in this town. Like I can leave Austin and like, I just went to New Mexico for a week or when I go home to Connecticut, like I don't think about the way my body works when I'm not in Austin. What do you think it is about Austin? Austin's a very thin white city uh, and me being a curvier black woman and the dating scene being trash. And it's just always that sort of like pressure and I, I think that's what it is. Like as a person who grew up very independent, who has never had like a very like quote, serious quote, long relationship. I think the longest I've, I've ever dated someone was three months. Um, so like, I've never had like a long-term partnership. So like for me to be very independent to both, you know, done the work, like I started therapy when I was 15, I journal, I meditate, I do all the things. I'm very self-aware. Um, but to always just constantly feel like my body is the problem but yeah. it's not my body, it's society. Yeah. And understanding that and knowing that and even still yeah. falling back into that and getting obsessive. Like, like I work out now as a way to like celebrate my body and get anxiety out, but it can also mm-hmm. like be a slippery slope. Like I have to be very aware of it because I can get obsessive about it and it kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do. Sure. What do you, what do you think, Brie, like when you were 12, like mm-hmm. what started to happen for you? We talked about this on the show before people. So have you? with me. Oh no, it's not you. I, I just feel like my guest here that we talk about Calvin all the time. Um, there's a boy named Calvin and I always like, I'm convinced he listens to the show and just doesn't want to acknowledge he's the main point of a lot of my trauma. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a boy named Calvin. Who sorry, had, Calvin. I'm not sorry. He made his choice. Okay. He knew what he was doing. Um, who knew that he's I liked getting him. called out. He's getting called out for being the reason why I, pay, I still pay for therapy. Him and my dad. Anyway, mm. so there's Calvin, who I had the biggest crush on, and he knew I had a crush on him. And he still dated all of my friends who were thin white girls and didn't date me. And I think that's what really started my eating disorder. I was like, well, I can't be white and I don't have long hair, but I can be thin Mm. and just trying to be physically smaller in order to appease his quote type. And I think that's really what it really stems from is like that sort of like, no one wants to like stand out when they're younger. And also, like, like I said, I grew up in a very diverse place. Like I had 
friends who looked differently, friends who had bodies like me and friends who didn't have bodies like me. Like I grew up with like, again, a range of people and still it kind of still got me. Like, and I think, I think about it, like getting the chicken pox, like you can avoid it for so long, but then eventually like, it'll still catch up to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just like, it was always going to be there. And as a person who is very much like, I tell people I'm a recovering perfectionist as a person, uh, who, once I commit to something, I commit to something. And I was like committed to this eating disorder. And so, like I said, my mom caught it and we went to um, my doctor and then my mom, my mom passed when I was 15. And the first month that she was gone, um, my aunt noticed that I lost like 15 pounds in a month. And luckily we had therapy at school. So I was able to get into therapy, not only for, you know, talking to other, like I was in group therapy to talk about the passing of my mom. Then I was also an individual therapy to talk about my eating disorder. So knowing now, like I was really lucky to have the sort of like safety nets built in, but even still like now I said, like I said, 32 years old and, you know, my therapist is always constantly worried. She's like, have you eaten today? And I'm like, I'm the kind of person who doesn't get hungry. And I don't know, like, if it's just like, I can wake up at like seven, go work out, take a shower, start working. And by the time I know it was like 2 p.m., like, oh, I haven't eaten today. And it's just like, I don't know what it is in my body, but it's just like, it's not a thing of concern for me. And I just don't feel it. So, well, I mean, you're saying so many important things that I could comment on, but I want to acknowledge like as myself, like a thin white woman with long hair, also with a history of an eating disorder, you know, it's like one, I think all women are super susceptible to it, but there is a different path of Mm -hmm. recovery and body acceptance depending on the body that you're in. Mm -hmm. And like learning how to accept and work with a body that is more traditionally attractive, like more socially accepted is a much different journey than learning how to live within a body that is larger Mm -hmm. and is not going to be a size two. So eating disorders, I would say, share so many similarities, no matter who has them. But the work is radically different for everyone. One, you know, about really what what their body is and what they're coming to terms with. But also, I think I wrote this to you in sort of my pre-summary is so much of the work is about internal connection to your emotions and to also being able to like have a presence that is authentic in your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. I'm just taking notes. So we, I, I, (laughs) you know, in some ways I think you and I probably share a lot in common in whatever journeys we've both been on with food and body acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, But also there's this big difference of like, we look very different in this Mm -hmm. world. Yeah. And I think that's what gets me too, is like constantly, like, like I said, I've, I've done the work to like both like and love myself and been talking about like the whole body acceptance versus like body neutrality conversation that's been happening Uh in the last few years. And like, definitely like, ebbing and flowing between both those sort of like ends of the spectrum but then also thinking too about like you know just talking to another friend before this of like you know how everyone is susceptible to eating disorders it's just like who it's acceptable for still I think is a conversation if you think about it like as a black acceptable to like have an eating disorder yeah yeah and I think Uh a lot of the time it's still like thin white women are like the quote like 
no, quote norm for having an eating disorder but like, uh-huh. just, like people of color and men and queer people and you know all the other people who also develop eating disorders but even so like they're not even in the conversation or the fact that like people in bigger bodies also have eating like eating disorders and that conversation right. too of just like that sort of like well you can't have an eating disorder because you're quote overweight or you can't have an eating disorder because you look a certain way it's like no, everyone is susceptible to this because of the societal pressure of what is acceptable. And, you know, I, I know a lot of the, like the time my eating disorder is a form of control. Mm-hmm. Like I can't control, like talking to my therapist about this. Like if I'm really busy, like I said before, like if I wake up and I'm just really busy with work, I just will like not eat. And it's not like as like sometimes it's not on purpose, right? Like I said, like, I'll just get up and be super busy. But then other times, like in the past, it has been like, oh, how long can I go without eating? And like having to stop and like, oh, where does that come from? Like having to really sit and think about that too. You know, I think, so a couple of things. One, when we say eating disorders in this culture, a lot of people assume we're talking about anorexia, Mm -hmm. which gets associated with like a very, very thin Mm -hmm. woman who's just, not eating or eating a very small amount. And she looks just like a stick figure Mm -hmm. and all of the other ways that people can have a disordered relationship with food just get ignored, you know? Um, And what you're talking about with essentially restriction or not eating or missing meals, some of that is really passive, right? Like it's not always a deliberate, I choose to miss breakfast. Mm -hmm. The way you're describing it is like, oh, it just didn't occur to me. It might body didn't signal to me that I needed to do that. And then, oh my God, it's 2 PM. And now mentally, I know I haven't eaten, but I'm maybe not even sure my body wants Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is where we could look at like, uh, you know, are you potentially disconnected from the signals your body is sending? Mm. You know, if, if you were say to deliberately say, you know, I'm going to do a meal schedule I'm going to wake up and have breakfast, whether I feel like I want it or not, but that is theoretically what my body wants, which is food, you know, every four mm-hmm. to six hours, that's what bodies need. If I was going to put myself on that schedule, maybe it would kickstart those cues again. So that my, that is actually what I'd start to feel in my body is I wake up and I am feeling like I need to eat. And then it's lunch and I've got, you know, yeah, I eat. It's built into my schedule and my body's ready for it. And the fact that you're thinking about it at two says to me, actually, there is some kind of cue happening. Mm. Hunger starts with this awareness of like, huh, I'm thinking about food before we ever get the like, yeah. oh my God, I'm dying in my body. To, I'm going to pass out or I'm stomaching or I feel nauseous. It's just the awareness of like, huh, I, I'm thinking about a sandwich. I'm thinking about pizza. I'm thinking about, you know a salad. And there, that's where there starts to be this like cue of I, my body wants something. Mm. So it'd be interesting for you to see if you committed to have breakfast every morning, even whether you wanted it or not, what, I don't know what might happen the rest of the day. That's true. I don't know why it's like causing me such anxiety to think about that. To What's, like, what do you think is, I'm feeling um, a lot of things I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, um, tell me definitely anxious and and I don't and and I'm going back to like being younger of like my cousin who is in a traditionally very thin body I feel like she was always hungry and I was never hungry um and unpacking that like even now as a grown-up of just being like 
is my metabolism just not engaged? Like all these things, like I'm just, I just never really feel like I'm either not hungry or ravenous. Like there's never been like a snacky. Uh-huh. Like it's like, like my friends, I was like, what do you want for dinner? Or like, are you hungry? I'm like, mm, I can eat. Like, it's never like, even now, like thinking about it, like it's never really a thing. And thinking about eating every four to six hours when I right now know I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I may not be hungry in those hours, but I still make myself eat gives me such anxiety. And I don't know why. Mm. That's, that is worth exploring because I know like there's some resistance there to is. put yourself on a meal schedule. My, my guess would be there's fear of what I eat more if I did that in a day. Mm-hmm because mm-hmm. I'm definitely I know I'm not eating enough like I know that I, I yeah. genuinely know that um but yeah no I definitely like need to find a like a food therapist because it's definitely definitely it's definitely a thing like like and like it's not like I get anxiety like eating around people like although oh my god who knew we talked about this today um one of like my really big things is like I really genuinely love salad. Like I've always like been such like, a I vest- believe you. I've been a vegetable sure. girl my whole life. Like my grandparents had a gorgeous garden when I was growing up, like we just go out and like pick tomatoes off the vine and just eat them like love vegetables. But I get so anxious eating salads around people. Really? <laughs> why, it is, do you, why do you it's think? The thing of like looking a certain way while eating a salad. What and message like, do you think that sends? it's definitely like salads like I was thinking about like the quote like cute foods like salad isn't a cute food to eat like there's a lot of like planning that has to go into eating the salad like I hate that idea of like it's giving me such anxiety of like shoveling food into my mouth uh-huh and looking like that and I don't and I don't know what it is like it's literally only when I eat salad and I don't know what it is but it's just always been like this idea of like eating a salad because I actually genuinely love them but like being in a quote bigger body and still like shoveling food into my mouth I feel like just makes me look a certain way and I'm just very much like it makes me so anxious Mm. and I've never told anyone that Nina I can feel the anxiety (laughs) through your microphone so yeah it's definitely it's definitely it's I don't know I don't know where it came from it's just always been a point of anxiety like I will get a salad and like make it smaller so that I don't have to like like think about that process the word the word that's sticking out to me is that word shoveling Mm -hmm. this idea of like I'm imagining all the components that are in a salad and you've got to kind of put them on the fork but sometimes you've got to kind of scoop the salad into your mouth you know it's yeah and it cutting them up into a small piece I would call that a food ritual which is I feel more in control of this meal if I do something to it Mm. in a certain way and it's pretty common people who with food rituals cut things up into teeny tiny pieces it's it looks cuter it's kind of your (laughs) I just realized I had a bagel I did this today at breakfast I had a bagel (laughs) I had a bagel for breakfast and I always will get a bagel toasted cream cheese on the side so I can rip the bagel up and do like a little cream cheese on the bagel and then fold it and make it smaller and I did yeah it just clicked in my brain of like I have fruit rituals all of my food and I just realized that I'm like oh my god Brie did you know you were coming to therapy today I did not know 
I know. Okay, prepared. but it's it's pretty amazing just in this moment the amount of awareness, all these light bulbs that go off, and mm. that all the that little pieces, cutting things up, peeling things apart, picking bagels apart, that is a way to feel more in control of something that probably feels very overwhelming. Mm. Very overwhelming. And would also go hand in hand with people who tend to restrict or not eat enough when they get food in front of them, they make it smaller, which also draws out the process of Mm. eating. If you're afraid, I'm so ravenous, I could just put this whole bagel in my mouth at once. But if I do it in this teeny tiny way, then it's maybe cuter. Mm. I don't, you know, it it doesn't have that shoveling sensation. And I think it's like making it so eating is eating in fact is cuter right like if I eat a bagel that has cream cheese on it I am more likely to get cream cheese on my face versus if I make it really small and it's just oh, wow Nina we're working through a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I think women say. women get the message that they're um eating is not sexy yeah it, it's it's like it's just not sexy and that I grew up um with this message which I blame the media for of like was not cool to have an eating disorder, but you needed to be thin. Mm-hmm. So you needed to look like someone who didn't eat anything, but you needed to be able to eat everything. You mm-hmm. couldn't, it actually wasn't cool to be the girl on the date who just ordered a little salad. That mm-hmm. was like, oh, you're that girl. Right. But also please look like that girl mm-hmm. and eat a huge meal and mm-hmm. do it in a cute way. Don't, don't make it messy. But right. be the be easy, be a, be fine, be able to go anywhere and eat anything, but look like you eat nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and I had like- a lot of shame for like a little while about just even saying like I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Felt like some sort of confession. Yep. Like I have a need. <laughs> Like I want something. No, like I told you, like all my friends are always like, what are you going to do for dinner? Like I never ask. Mm. I'm never the friend of like, let's go for a meal. Like I was like, let's go, like go to a movie. Let's go for a walk. Like, let's do something. Like, let's like go do something versus eating. And I'm like really trying to unpack that this year for myself, for sure. Cause it's like, once I'm there, I'm fine. But it's like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the time it's like, I would like to do like not that I'm avoidant, but it's also like avoidant, right? Like I'm like, we can do something else. <laughs> like besides what do you eating- think it would be like, Priya, if you were like, hi, I want to go to dinner with everyone, or I want to start dinner with it would be fine. It. None of my friends would care. Literally none but of my would friends. Would you care? care? I'd probably have anxiety. Although, like, yeah. I do, but the thing is, and I feel this is very much a familial thing. I come from a very big family. Like, I don't know how to cook for one person ever. So like I always like I will host and like make dinner and then uh-huh. also but I've noticed my family does this too like we will cook for people and then we're always last ones to eat and it's like well I just cook for six hours like I'm fine and that's definitely a thing I still fall into now I'm like no no like I'm okay like or like my anxiety thing is like when I'm anxious I'll bake but I don't eat any of it I just give it all away so like it's still a thing of like if I want something I'll eat it obviously but a lot of times like I just want to do a thing and then get rid of it what is that what does that feel like to bake a whole thing and not maybe even try it interesting because like the thing is like I bake because my brain needs something to do when I'm anxious and so Uh for me like I can cook and just cook like need no rules need no instructions but for me baking is a way to like get back into my brain kind of distract myself blah 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 um but a lot of time like I will when I bake I give it away to people but it's like so the other day my friend had me over for dinner 
she's like, oh, well, you bring dessert because she likes when I bake things. And so I tried a new recipe and I didn't even try it. I just bought it to her house. Like I baked it and then brought it to her house. <laughs> like, And then she was like, do you want to try? I was like, no, like you try it first. Let me know. And I was like, and I sat in that moment for like a split second. I was like, I didn't even try this before I bought it to her house. Mm. And thought about that. I was like, it's like, do I just trust myself as a baker <laughs> to know that I followed the instructions good? Well, or am I just still restricting myself? It's been yeah, a lot of I, a lot of conversations this week around food with myself. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say there's something a little bit disordered there about baking and not even trying it. And this history of your family, you know, making a whole meal and then the people who prepared it saying, oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, some, some kind of shame around mm-hmm. I made something and I want it or I'm hungry for it or I want to try it like food in the service of others. It's mm. not, it's, I, I get you about baking for, you know, coping with stress. I would argue there's other ways to get your mind into something to cope with stress, but yet you're drawn to something related to food. Mm-hmm. I would, yeah. I would say Brie, next time you bake something, you have to try it. You have to have one proper, like a proper cookie or proper, you know, portion of what a bread or a brownie. I'm not talking about a tiny little crumb. I see your face. You're like, oh my god! I came to this podcast and like Nina's giving itching. me all this therapy I'm homework. Itching. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I can do that. Just think, I, yeah, I really would try it. Try it the next time and see how it feels. It might feel terrible, but you want to know. Okay, this feels terrible, so I can ask myself more about. What is Why wrong with this? Terrible. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. The thing is, like, I am like a therapist's dream. Like, I'll do the work. So I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. Like, I'm very much like a rule follower. Like, I can do this. Next time I bake, I can do this. Yeah. It's going to make me sweat. I realize, like, when I get anxious, I just start itching. And so I'm just like itchy right now. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, there is, there is a lot of anxiety about things that are new. Mm-hmm. Um, and with food, the way to change our relationship to it is often to take a lot of risks and you can talk about food endlessly. Like we could talk about your anxiety around it endlessly, mm-hmm. but at some point you have to do something with yeah. it. Like you, like I can, t- I talk to patients, we'll spend an hour talking about carbohydrates, why they're scary, what pizza is scary, what pasta is scary. And it's valuable to look at your relationship to carbohydrates and the history of what's happened to you with pizza and when it's shown up and how it's felt and who was involved at the end of the day, you're never going to eat that pizza until you try the pizza. Right. Right. It's, there is a like, okay, we have to do the thing. And this is where there are two parts to eating disorder recovery. There is the, um, making an entirely new relationship with food that doesn't include the anxiety or the control or the guilt, um, figuring out what actually tastes good to you, what you really like. A lot of times people eat things because they think that's the thing they should be eating, but it's not actually the thing they really want. Or Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not even the thing that tastes good to them. It's like, oh, but this is healthy, or this is low calorie, or this is what I was told I should have. So there's a whole almost like rewiring of how to, how to eat, what to eat, what do you want to eat and how to be okay with that? Yeah. And then there's the emotional piece, which is so individual, like so, so, so individual. 
what is your relationship to your feelings? What's your relationship to how you speak up for yourself, what you say, what you don't say, how you feel about your presence in the world? Um, a lot of like, a lot of, I do a lot of family origin work. So the, the, and that I, I'm almost having a hard time uh, summarizing because it's so deep and it's so personal. Yeah. And some people do just one of them <laughs> and that's not the complete work. Yeah. Some people will get with the nutritionist and they'll learn how to eat on a schedule and eat more in line with what they want, but they don't look at any, they won't look at any of their feelings and they'll come into therapy after a couple of years and they'll say, Nina, I, I can eat pizza now. I eat meals now. I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full, but yet I'm still so depressed and miserable. I was like, oh yeah, we didn't, you didn't do the yeah, other the, thing. The other half of the work. Right. Right. Or people come in and they're like, I will talk to you about my feelings all day long. I'll tell you all about my mom. I'll tell, you know, I'll tell you everything that happened to me in my childhood that was traumatic, but I will never try new food. And I, I will never touch that part because mm. that's so overwhelming. And it's like, there's value in that. Yeah. But also that's, it's not doing the whole thing. Yeah. And it's a, it is a journey. It is a journey for everyone. But Brie, I will tell you the good news mm -hmm. is that it is available and possible. And, and even though your eating disorder started so young, at some point, I think it doesn't matter how long it's been around. You, the, the work is still available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's I'm, still possible. I'm having lots of feelings. <laughs> you like, are? So what feelings are you having? I'm like trying not to crack. I'm like, it's, it's true. Right. And it's like, not bad cry I'm just I'm a Pisces I have a lot of feelings Nina. Yeah. um but Good. it's definitely that like journey of it too because like the more you talk about things the more I realize like I'm still such a control freak around my food and it's like unpacking a lot of things for me in this moment like mm. like not that I don't think I've come far because I definitely have like I'm definitely not where I was when I was like 15 like 15 my eating disorder at 15 was definitely like bulimia and like actually skipping meals like if I did mm -hmm. eat I would try and make myself throw it up like it was just the act of eating to appease other people yeah. and then my control was like but I don't have to keep it in my body um but like I just I'm just now thinking like for lack of a better term like the quirks I have around eating that I've never noticed until like other people have pointed them out I'm like oh I do do that like I will not eat something that's not room temperature like I cannot eat super hot food because again, of like how the way it would look like the attention around me eating, like, you know, if people like eat something hot and then they like try to like cool it off in their mouth that causes me such anxiety, to, like think about it's like, there's that. And then like, also my friends and I have a rule about like not giving like physical compliments. Like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. We, we don't do physical compliments it's like you look really nice in this dress and that's it like not like you look thin not like you look anything like oh, you look really happy today or like you're glowing or like things like that but like not like physical compliments and it's like mm -hmm. across spectrums around like all types of all of my friends um but yeah it's kind of just thinking about it's a journey and I'm just like there's still the the tools are still there for you and remembering they are, that Brie. yes they they absolutely are and one of the things I'm hearing is it's like, it's almost like you want your relationship with food to be invisible. Yes. That you don't want anyone to notice that you 
are doing anything with food that you nope. want it, that you're eating it. Nope. If I could like eat alone all the time, I would. But then like when I'm with people, I'm fine. Like yeah. I know I know my friends don't care, but it's definitely like it's an in my head thing. Yeah, but you care. About I care there. deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I know <laughs> I know it's it is really it is really complex. Um and that's why there are therapists here and nutritionists here. And it mm. takes it takes work. Yeah. And a, yeah. it takes a lot of courage to look at this shit. It, it really, really does. And and there are a lot of people who go their whole life and they will never touch this issue. Yeah. And they will never maybe medically even be forced to look at it. You know, sometimes people don't want to talk about it, but they end up at the doctor and something is wrong mm-hmm. because you, your body can only take so much right. before it says like, you are not treating me well mm-hmm. at all. And in that way, sometimes people are like, I'm forced to deal with this because I'm having a medical problem directly related to yeah. something nutritional. But there are a lot of women who will live in a, an eating disorder or even an incredibly disordered relationship with food forever, mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Like I have talked about on the show before too, but like I have very irregular periods and my doctors don't know why, like there's nothing in my scans. There's like nothing that comes up. And I got my period this week, for like the first time since like January. I'm like, okay, what's been different? And I was like, okay, I've like worked out more. I'm like, oh, I'm not, my body's not starved. And I think that's a big thing too. Like we all know, like everything's tied together. So you say, and I was like, oh, it's like the months where like, I actually like, and I don't think it really connected until when I got my period. And I was like, oh, like I haven't been so food obsessed. Cause like I was on trip. I took a lot of work trips last month, mm-hmm. last month. Um, and like, every time I'm on vacation, I'm like, just live, don't be weird about mm. it. And so for me to get my period this month, I'm like, oh, my body is telling me something. And it wasn't until literally last night, I was like, <laughs> okay. So what do you think it's telling you? That I need to be feeding it more. Yeah. Which is a thing I'll have to like navigate in my brain. The good today. news though is, is your, when you feed it more, your body does its job. Mm-hmm. Uh, bodies are incredibly resilient. Yeah. That's the good news. They have their limits, but they will respond when you treat them well. And it's and like I said, my doctor's like, there was nothing on my scans. There was nothing. And so it's just like, is it as simple as just eating more? And that's been the issue. I'm like, it might be. Yeah. Simple. I'm like, Crazy. So wild. Sorry, I'm sorry, Bobby. <laughs> I know. You know, there's this, um, I had a therapist say this to me once. I thought it was so brilliant that uh, the mind is the monarch and the body is the kingdom. And at some point, if the monarch is not listening to the kingdom enough, there is an uprising. Mm. And with eating disorders, people live a lot from that headspace. They override the body over and over and over. And essentially the result is becoming totally disembodied, Mm -hmm. no longer living in your physical, intuitive, authentic emotional experience, but living completely from, uh, I do what I think I should. Yeah. 
both with food and maybe other things. And then when I check in with my body, I actually have no idea what it's saying because I'm not connected to it at all. But at some point, the body will, well, the body will break down enough that it will get harder and harder to ignore. Right. Right. Um, And and what's happening to you, I, I really think this is the thing, is when you feed your body more, it does its job, which is great. It's yes. still there. It would love to participate in life with you. Yeah, that's true. And like, it's the interesting part about it too, is like my, I know like my eating disorder now is less about how I look and more about control. And that's been a big thing for me too, of like, I don't have an, an like, I don't know the right word, but like any sort of like quote animosity towards the way I look like I like the way I look mm-hmm. but it's still like that control part of it is still in my brain deeply and that's been that's going to be interesting thing to navigate as well go to therapy everybody go to therapy well this is this is how I got into this is I really, when I was young, my parents were in marriage counseling for a bunch of years and they were very open about it. And I was like seven, eight, nine, 10, mm-hmm. but my, my family changed completely. I mean, I went from living in a house with a tremendous amount of screaming to a house that was calm <laughs> and loving and my parents got along and eventually they stopped going to therapy. But I thought to myself, I want that job. Mm-hmm. I want to do what that therapist did because I want to help other kids like me. Mm. And I get teary even thinking about it because it was just so such a life-changing experience that I had as a 10, 11-year-old. And so I pursued this and, you know, was a psych major in college and I wanted to go to grad school. And I, I, I'm like, I want to be a couples counselor. That's the thing. I want that. I want that. I want that. I was so sure. And then along the way, I developed this eating disorder and I found myself in really intensive therapy for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I then, by some sort of uh, fate, essentially, ended up working in intensive treatment programs for women who are coming to recover from their eating disorders. And it really delayed my goal of becoming a couples counselor for a decade, but it was so amazing mm-hmm. to do that work. And for me, to, I never talk about this with my clients because in some way it's not it's not really relevant to their therapy Mm -hmm. that I have my own story, but to use my experience to inform, Mm -hmm. oh my God, of course, it totally informs my understanding and what I know and how I went through it and what was important. And I was on that chair as a patient doing this work, which was so shameful and so Mm. hard and full of so many tears and, and, getting to a nutritionist and having them really call me on my bullshit. And I remember um, maybe my second or third appointment and my nutritionist was like, I'm going to need you to eat this, this, this. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And she goes, okay, then you can have osteoporosis. And I was like, (gasps) and I left that appointment and I went straight to the grocery store and bought, you know, whatever she told me to get. And I was like, I, oh my God, osteoporosis, like that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, And I remember, you know, how hard that was and the coming in and out of restriction and binging and restriction and binging and the craziness of I'm eating everything, I'm eating nothing. You know, I, I know every bathroom in Manhattan that you can go and get rid of this meal. I mean, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been, 
it's been this really phenomenal full circle of recovery work to kind of be on the other side of like, I can pay this forward. And I know so, so, so deep down and viscerally that this is so possible and life-changing to like, to rework your relationship with food and also find a new way to be in the world. My life would not look like this at all if I still had an eating disorder. I, I technically, maybe I'd have my relationship. Technically I'd maybe live in this apartment maybe I'd be a therapist, although that would be incredibly unethical, mm. I think, to be in a position of helping people when I myself was right. not well. But I certainly wouldn't be present or happy or enjoying it. I'd be so preoccupied like with my own stuff because it really robs people mentally. Yeah, like It's so, so hard to be doing life when part of you is like, just completely hijacked into what's going to happen with food today. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? How am I going to be like, what am I going to eat? What what food is going to be there? I remember, God, back in my twenties, which was really when I was the most symptomatic going to things like weddings or dinner parties or stuff where food was really like a main focus and you had to eat. You couldn't really get away with being like, I'm just not eating dinner party. You're like, I'm eating. I cannot tell you who was at these parties, what the Mm. conversation was, but I can tell you what that Mm. meal was. I could tell you exactly what that meal, I could tell you what was what I ate, how much I ate of it, what was there for dessert. And that's so sad to me to be like, oh, all those experiences were like completely hijacked. Mm -hmm. I I don't don't remember anything except that tray of cookies at that Christmas party. Like, and may- maybe I could tell you what I wore because that was also part of the, yeah. you know, part of the stress. Uh, but I've seen so many people come through my office who were in such a bad place when they started. And then one, two, three years later, it's like talking to a new person. Mm. Where And sometimes it feels like there's a, there's a period of time where people make a transition from really, really a symptomatic place of like, I'm really preoccupied with food. We're talking about food a lot to starting to talk about other things. And I feel like I'm meeting them for the first time. Mm. I'm like, oh, there you are. Mm. Oh, here's who I'm talking to. Wow, it's so, it's so cool. It's so cool. And some of these people come in and they never would have thought something like this could change. Sometimes their complaint is not even about food. They're like, I hate my husband and I want a divorce. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're not eating. Oh, you're not sleeping. Yeah. Oh, you're not feeling. Okay, let's let's get you back into a more stable, saner, you know, better place where you, you are you now. Back to, yeah. 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 Back yeah, to yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And Bri, I'm not saying this is like, maybe some of this resonates with you, maybe mm-hmm. not. Um, but I know this can be like not just anxiety provoking, but so much shame. And I think you're so amazing to have this podcast and talk openly to me as a stranger, because I didn't talk about this for so long. I could see my therapist and I think I I told, I don't think, but I told my boyfriend at the time, because I Mm. couldn't, I couldn't keep that. Yeah. I could not. not Like I might not have if I could get away with it, but I Mm. had to, and I didn't talk about this for a decade. I couldn't even actually say I had an eating disorder until I was years out of therapy. I used to call it my food issues. Mm. I'd be like, ooh, I have food. Because there just was so, so, so yeah. much shame. So much shame. 
And yeah. I, I, I love that it's being talked about more and more and more in this society mm-hmm. because it, so many people are affected by it and not talking about it. Yeah. I, I, there's a, there can be a room of women and statistically 25% of them will have an eating disorder, have had an eating disorder, having a disordered relationship. And all those women probably feel like they're the only one who's being yeah. like crazy about food. Yeah. I mean, obviously Brene Brown is the love of my life. Um, and, you know, having been a social work major and, you know, being so obsessed with the idea of shame, I've been, this is why I started this show. Like I just wanted a place where people could just come and talk candidly mm-hmm. and also like to give space for myself or people who just wanted to come and listen and not feel so alone. Cause it is like you're saying, it's, we suffer alone when there's like so many other people who are going through the same thing and just thinking about that sort of connection. But then I think for me, like my, my little shame part of, well, not little, not little, my shame part of my disordered eating is that like this pressure of like, I'm the friend who has it together and uh, that sort of pressure of like, if I have it together, then why is this, why is there this thing that I'm like still keeping so silent? Like I have friends who would love to hear me talk about it or would be there, which is why I started going to therapy again. Cause I just felt so much shame talking about the fact that I'm human <laughs> with my mm, friend mm-hmm. and my therapist is like, you know, like you don't have to like be this perfect person. And I was like, Katie, that's how I've like survived my whole life. Like, and so I'm packing that with her and definitely like trying not to cry this whole episode because it's definitely like, a thing that I thought I worked through, but it's still like I have it. And so I'm grateful that we had this conversation today because I just feel like I definitely, definitely think like with social media too, like we all have to like quote have it together and live this beautiful life. And I'm very big on like sharing, like I'm not perfect and I'm not, I don't have it all together. And I think, but I, like you're saying, it's a thing that I think a lot of people are going through and don't talk about. And, you know, I'm thinking when you were just talking about like the dinner party, um, experience you were having I thought about maybe three weeks ago one of my really good friends it was his birthday so we went on a boat like for the day and there were snacks and things and like I'm laughing because I I just it didn't click in my head the day um but we're on the boat we're on this boat for five hours we went I got to their house at 9 a.m we got to the boat at 10 we're out to like two and then I went and did something else after and so I did not eat the whole time on the boat because it was like mm. new people who I didn't really know. And looking back on it now, I was like, I, I, I kept saying I wasn't hungry because my friends kept like, do you want anything? He's like, no, I'm not hungry. I woke up at eight o'clock. It is now noon. My, I know in the back of my mind, I am hungry, but I'm like, what is my, I was on the boat. Like obviously in the moment, but something like, what is the control moment that I'm having here that I will not eat in front of strangers? And then also like then going to another thing afterwards, like I went and met some friends, like I came home, showered because I was on the boat. I got in the water, came home, showered, and then went back out and met other friends and like didn't eat to like 3.30 that day with friends I was comfortable with. And I was like, literally sat and thought about it for a little while. I was like, oh, like it's still there. Like the control is still there. And so I think that's also why I really wanted to talk about it too, because it just, I think it shows up so differently for so many people like it doesn't look like you know not eating at all it doesn't always look like binging and purging it doesn't look like skipping meals it doesn't it it can your disordered eating can look differently and it's still real like I wanted to give people 
that sort of permission of like, it doesn't have to be the, like the quote textbook of like anorexia or bulimia or binging and purging. Like it can look like restrictive. It can look like obsessing. It can look like, you know, we were just talking about like my, my, my eating quirks is what I call them. Like it can look so different for so many people. Oh, your eating quirks is what I used to call my food issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I feel like I have, these two, I have eating quirks. Right? Mm-hmm. You eating quirks. Can I yeah. say something? Maybe you can take this or leave this. Okay. But what you're calling control, I hear more as shame. Mm. That that not eating on that boat, something about that was really scary and brought up a lot of maybe shame. Mm. It you're managing it through the control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think through a little bit of avoidance of like, I, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry, which my guess is you're not getting a crazy cue. Mm-hmm. You have to eat this. Snack. You're getting maybe subtle. Oh, I don't really need to do it. Yeah. It's not, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't eat. Right. That mm-hmm. something's, something's there. It's not, um, it's not intense enough for you to have to attend to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there, then, there's like, something really scary that was yeah. happening on that boat with new on people. And then even like when I did go and meet friends, it was like two new friends who I had not met and I ordered a burger. So all I wanted was a burger at like 3 p.m., which I had the burger and the fries and that wasn't the issue. But I also like had to cut up the burger in order to make it a cuter food to eat in smaller bites. Like, yeah. Oh, Just, so you're doing this cut up a lot. Mm-hmm. Constantly. So... I'm piling stuff on you. No, this is, this is good. This is good. No, this and is good. Maybe your therapist already saying this, but this would be whenever you want to tackle it, another place to be like, what would it feel like to eat a food and not cut it up? <laughs> Sweating. And you could do that by yourself. You know, know, you could just do that. But maybe the next level would be now I'm doing it in front of people. Mm-hmm. But there, there is there is a control in this food ritual even when i'm home like if i make if i make a sandwich i have to always cut it in half i will never just bite into a full sandwich Mm -hmm. Uh that can be really scary for people when i when i worked at um the one of the treatment programs around food center one of the breakfasts we used to have uh included a muffin Mm -hmm. and it was so hard for people to put a muffin in their mouth without breaking it up into all these little pieces. Yeah. This act of taking of the whole food and biting into it is like, can be really terrifying. It's hard. And, you know, I want to say too, like the majority of eating disorders include binge eating. This idea that eating disorders are primarily anorexia and restriction is total BS. Yes, mm-hmm. people have that, but the majority of eating disorders include either primarily binging or binging periodically, binging and purging, or binging and then using exercise to sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, compensate for yeah. it, which, which is another form of like, get it out. Like, mm-hmm. I have to like somehow make up for it. So, yep. I, you know, I, this, I think we're doing better as a society moving away from eating disorder means purely anorexia stick skinny Mm -hmm. you know heroin chic and more into like you can be in any body and have a really weird relationship with eating and with your body and feelings about weight and fat phobia and like that is actually way 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 more 
common, then people acknowledge, including yeah. the medical profession. Mm. I cannot even tell you how many clients I have in smaller bodies who are so unhealthy and they go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't ask them about food yep. at all. Mm-hmm. And then my clients who are in larger bodies go to the doctor and the food is always a topic, but, and it's often in the form of, you have to lose weight, however you do it, noom, mm-hmm. you know, gastric bypass that gets pushed all the time. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think anyone should get that. It's not a problem with your stomach. It's a problem with your head. We don't need to amputate a perfectly healthy part of your body to help you like change your relationship yeah. to food and the way you're eating. Um, the medical profession has a really long way to go. But anyway, I think we're I think we're moving in the right direction, which is understanding that eating disorders mean so much more than just this like anorexia kind of cliche. Although that is still the like idealized eating disorder. Lots of air quotes. Lots of air quotes. And one thing people will do is people who are diagnosed with anorexia and are really, you know, they're really thin and they're really restrictive. When you say to them, you know, you, when you ask them something or when they talk about it, they'll say, I have anorexia. When you ask somebody with like binge eating disorder or bulimia, they'll just say eating disorder. They often don't own the words. Mm. Mm. Because it's not the, it's not the good one. It's the, it's the grosser one. Mm-hmm. It's not the cuter one. It's not the cooler one. It's hard for people to understand. Anorexia is like, oh, it's kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I, the I mean, good when, one to have. When I just talking about this, like, I was like, I have a thing about food. Like I will never even like, like if people ask me like, if I'm close, but, like, yeah, I developed an eating disorder when I was 12, but like now I'm like, I have a thing about food. And that's like, mm-hmm. cause it's, it's that like, I'm in a quote, bigger body. And mm-hmm. like you're saying that whole like doctor thing and you know, all that's, I'm just like, yes. Cause yeah. it's, just, it's just easier for my understanding. And like, I don't need to give you the full details and for anyone to negate my experience. It's just like, I have a thing about food. Totally. Totally. Which, which is good to notice. Even me in this conversation, you know, I still have a a little bit of a shameful relationship with the word bulimia, which was really what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, when I did call it an eating disorder, disordered eating food issues, it was really hard for me to say that word for a long time. Um, because in my mind, the way I felt, and I think a lot of people feel like this is that's like the gross, that's gross. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you, how can you do that? God, I could never do that. I hate throwing up. Throwing up I'm like, oh my God, come on. Relax. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relax. Babies yeah, do it every day. Everybody relax. Like <laughs> it's hard for people to imagine, but like, oh, you're not eating. Like, oh, how do we get you to eat? Like, let's go to dinner and take you, you know, just eat more and it's like, it's all, it's all very complicated and deep. I could talk about this for hours. I mean, this has been my life's work like, for I could talk a to decade. For days about this. I'd be interested in like potentially like having people write in and maybe coming back and talking to you. Cause I just feel like, I just know it's not just us. <laughs> like the two oh my of God. Us no, it's. I hope whoever's listening is relating to some of this and, and, and also knowing that there is a hundred percent a way forward. It starts certainly with awareness and, and acknowledgement. This is a a lot of denial and there's no pill for denial. You know, I can't, I can't send you a psychiatrist and have them give you a pill where you wake up and are like, Oh my God. Right. 
Right. Or like, it took, it took me talking to you to be like, oh my God, I still do this. And like, I'm with me every day. (laughs) And yeah, it took me talking to you and like going back and like, oh my gosh, like being able to like really look at things and, and then note my food quirks to be like, oh shit. Like I am still doing this. It just looks different than it did when I was 15. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. eating disorders evolve. Right. That's typical. They evolve with our circumstances and our life as they change. They evolve as we get older. Doesn't mean they initially get better or worse, but they, uh, they look different from when we're 20, 25, 30, 35. Our bodies change. Mm-hmm. People move through phases of more restrictiveness and then phases of more binging and then back to restrictiveness or both some weeks it's this, some weeks it's that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ugh, yeah. Am I, am I overwhelmed? No, 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 not at no, all. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just legit thinking like, I just would, I could talk about this forever. Cause I just feel like it would help so many people. And and like you talked about like that idea of shame. Like, I think the more people you can connect with and talk to about it, the less shame you feel. And, you know, I definitely, me, I have friends who definitely, we've talked about it, but I'm thinking about one friend in particular, I'm not going to name their name, but we still talk about it often because, you know, she's talked about her, hers and we've talked about mine and it just looks very different and we look very different than each other, but it's still like, we both deal with this thing. Yeah. I just, I just, I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I want to ask you what it feels like uh, when you talk to friends who are in smaller bodies. Um, I, it, I'm going to give myself some grace. I'm like, I don't want it to sound selfish, but it's like, oh, it's everyone. Mm. Like, it's not just me in this body that I really do love and respect, even with my food quirks. And I'm grateful for this body and what it's brought me to through, but then also talking to friends in smaller bodies that are just like, it's not the body, it's mentality. Like it's, it definitely has helped me understand more of like, it is definitely a mental thing. Like you were just talking about like gastric bypasses and, you know, some people do it to, to change it, but you're saying it's mental. And I think that's the gentle reminder for me is like, it is mental. Like it's definitely a thing that we deal with in our heads and then it's fed into our, but the, like you said, the, what is it? The monarch and the kingdom is definitely yeah. a thing for sure. Cause it's like, I can talk about it all day, but if I don't do anything about it, and I think that's what my friends and I talk about, like we could talk about it. It's like, but are we doing anything? And so just to hear that sort of like conversation around how we're all dealing with it in different ways and even still like, I don't think it's about the physical, the way we look. I think it's just at the end of the day of like, we are all going through this and it doesn't matter what I look like. It it uh, it almost feels validating in a very mm-hmm. backwards way of like, even if I were, God forbid, I'm not God forbid, even if I were like to become a certain size or a certain weight, I still think I would have this. And I, and I think that's d- mental. And so I think talking to friends lets me know that the work can be done, but still like it does, I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling, but I just feel, I just feel like it's, it's, yeah. it's supportive, but also sad because it's like, yeah. obviously like we're way nicer to other people than we are to ourselves. So I think about my the specific friend I'm thinking about 
<clears throat> who is very athletic. I mean, very beautiful, you know, standard beauty, all that sort of stuff. But then it's like, well, she can. There's no wonder that other people can too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I mean, it is really work with um, the mind. And gastric bypass infuriates me because it, it, why would you amputate your stomach? Such a major surgery. Like it, oh, it, it affects forever. Everything. And most people after a, the statistics show a year or two after will be back to the way they started at. Wow. Because it, it doesn't address a relationship with food at all. It puts people on these really crazy restrictive diets because now your stomach is small and it doesn't address any of the feelings or the relationships to food. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it just creates a whole new kind of eating disorder. Now you can go on the boat with all the friends, but you actually technically can't really eat that much mm-hmm. because your, your stomach can't without some kind of major consequence yeah. like diarrhea or throwing up or yeah. your stomach stretching out or whatever. But right. yeah, not I'm not a fan of that. But I do, I do think back to what I said in the beginning is that um, the work around body acceptance or body neutrality is different depending on what size people are in. Yeah. I I really do. It's, it's one thing for um, someone who is like traditionally thin or skinny to come to terms with their body. And I think it's, it's, it's an, it's almost like an act of protest for people in larger bodies to be like, I fucking am fine with this and I love Mm -hmm. it. And I'm not trying to do anything about it. And it's healthy and it's fine. And like, that's it. F you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's this, there's these two girls on Instagram who I follow, who I'm like obsessed with. Like, I feel like we'd be best friends and they're both like, they identify as like plus size, like Uh fashion people. And I love them. And like, I'm like, oh my God, they are beautiful. But then like, if I wear something, I'm like, oh my God, I look disgusting. And I'm like, why do I do that? And that's just, I'm still working through that some days too, but it's, yeah, I think it's very much that of like, I can have body acceptance for other people, but not Mm. for me. And I'm like, I need to be nice. I think that's really calm. It's so common. Yeah. But you're, you're tackling some really deep stuff. I want you to know that. You, it, it, you really are. I mean, this is like not easy. Yeah. And it's, it's so ingrained at some point that even you, we don't even notice the stuff we're doing. Like literally oh, did wait. not notice today till the bit, ba- like the bagel thing is really like blowing my mind. I need you to know. Like it happened three hours ago and I'm still like, I still do it. And I don't, would- and I don't remember when it started. Like I've done that. I do that mm. with every bagel I get. Every pull it into little pieces. I always, and- I, I always get it toasted cream cheese on the side so I can rip it apart and not and dip, dip my bagel into cream cheese. I will take the knife and spread out the thinnest layer of cream cheese and then fold it and then eat it. So now I have to eat a bagel quote normally next time I have a bagel. I, was, I, this is what I would have you do is take the cream cheese and spread it on the bagel like a proper amount of cream cheese. You okay. should not be able to see the bagel through the cream cheese. Okay. That, okay. The cream cheese is on there. (laughs) (laughs) And then pick that bagel up. And as it is in the shape of a bagel, take a bite. Does this sound crazy? I'm trying not to cry thinking about it. Like it is, it is causing me feelings. So, okay. I'm going to try it. 
Maybe we'll maybe we'll do part two and you can let me and your listeners know. know. Yeah. I just need you to like this is like I said, even when I'm home, I do this. Even if I'm alone, I do this with every bagel. So I'm trying to here's my prediction for you. Okay. I don't think it's gonna feel as bad as you think. No, I know. It's just right. It's just right. Like I know it's just the anxiety. I have to get past the anxiety. And the the only way to do that is to do it get through it right to to like be like I have it and I'm gonna do it anyway there isn't there is an element to um learning how to eat again that does involve like I mean I am actually just gonna put this in my mouth some people don't like when people just eat and yeah that's way oversimplified and totally invalidating Mm -hmm. And in the context of the work, there is like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I need to do. I have a plan to do it. And I pick that bagel up and I put it in my mouth. I can only, I can only sit in the anxiety for so long. There's never going to be like a moment where you're like, I'm ready. People would love to wait for that. You know, I've thought it through, I've worked through my anxiety and now I'm ready to do it. And I like that moment, that moment's not going to come. Not in that, not in that period of time. Nope. You know, I know, okay. but we're gonna, I have feel- We're gonna have you back. We're gonna have you back because I'm like sweating thinking about. I'm like, okay, okay. So, so you can tell your therapist I gave you all this homework. Katie will be very pleased. <laughs> yeah. Does your therapist know about eating disorders? Yes. Yeah. I, I might. I, I, Katie, I think I might need another therapist. Quick sidebar. Like Katie's fine. I just I like to be pushed, and I feel like Katie doesn't push me enough. Like Katie has not given me the amount of assignments that you've given me in this hour. And I've been seeing Katie <laughs> like over a month. So well, I so need to go see a new therapist. Katie's, I, been, Katie's been a tiptoe back into the therapist pool for okay. me. I do really think people who are working through eating disorders, food issues, food quirks, whatever you want to call it, whatever you feel ready to call it, really should see somebody who really knows their shit. It is, it is like its own, its own own element its own world and uh I don't there are there are therapists who say like yeah I I can do that and I'm like you can't you you can't this is this is a true 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 specialty it really is Katie sounds lovely Katie Katie has been a good tiptoe I was just I was literally just saying last night I think I need a new therapist even before this conversation so I just, I just like to be pushed more. And I feel like you, like I said, in this hour have pushed me more than Katie has. I'm like, I need, I need to feel this every week. Like I want to be pushed into my anxieties and potentially crying. Wait, that's amazing. That's amazing. You're I want so to ready. be challenged. You're Ugh. so ready to do. You're so ready. That sense of like, push me into it. This is also how I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my patients, I think have, at least in the beginning, a love hate relationship with that. There's also oh. people are desperate for someone to be like, move me through this. Yeah. Like I tell people I'm a therapist room. Like I'll talk about anything. I like to be pushed. I like homework. And I just feel like Katie hasn't done that. And I need, I, I know where I want to be and I need someone who's going to help me get there. So go to therapy, everyone. <laughs> um, I will be sure to link all your stuff in the show notes Thank you. Um, at the end. Actually, is there anything you also want to plug? I see that there's a podcast you wanted to mention. Oh, Christy Harrison has a podcast called Food Psych. It's been around for years. It is phenomenal. All about intuitive eating, uh, diet culture, the trauma of living in diet culture, thin privilege, fat phobia, 
it's really, really focused on intuitive eating. It's pretty mind blowing uh, when you start listening to it. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Okay, my this my personal podcast list because I have some travel coming up and I need things to listen to. Um, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guest a final question, and the question is, "What is the best advice you were ever given, or what is a piece of advice you to give to your younger self?" I know you asked me this in my sort of pre-form and I really had to, I really had to think about it. It's a, it's a deep one. It kind of is. I, it really, it really kind of is. I mean, I wrote on there and I, I might, I'm not sure I stand by this, but it's so cliche, but I, I feel like it's at the heart of so much of what I do, which is be your fucking self. Like say the thing that is true like just be you in all the ways you can. And we get so far away from who we are. Mm-hmm. We, we really, we really do. And, and coming back to what is true for us and what it like really what I want to honor and be that's, that's really at the core of how I'm, how I, I think I'm trying to live my life at this point. And as kids, we just are naturally like that when you're five or six, you're just like, I didn't think, I didn't even occur to me to do anything that right. wasn't true to me. And, and we just get, we just get so far away from that. So I, I wish I could tell my, my little girl self that um, she doesn't have to be any different. She can just be her forever and she will love herself and some people will love her and some people won't. And that's totally fine. That's it. This week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the Tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.